0: Welcome to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone. This is Suzanne Toro and Thomas Ardivani. You are listening to us on iHeartRadio. In addition, you can stream us weekly on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and a wide variety of players worldwide. Without further ado, let's dive into the Joy Zone.
1: Wow! Look at look where you are.
0: Good yeah. Lord,
1: that's, that's yeah. beautiful. It, it really is. It's qu- it's quite amazing here. Where where's here? Welcome, um, by the way. Welcome to the Indie Creators in the Joy Zone. You're here with Thomas Artavani and Suzanne Toro. <laughs> hey! <laughs> wow! Where are you? I'm in uh, <laughs> Gold Hill, Oregon,
2: which is uh, somewhere halfway between Medford and Grants Pass. And oh, it's- beautiful big valley that the rogue river passes through and uh i'm up on the um this would be the northwestern side of the valley
1: well that looks like a place to uh find your soul or your spirit and your and whoever the heck you think that you are in any given moment that's a beautiful place to to rediscover uh i mean we've Suzanne told me so many beautiful things about you. It, uh, it seems like you're into the heavy-duty human work. You like to get down to the nitty-gritty and help people through their difficult times. You like to help them face their demons and kick some serious butt on those things. So, I mean, how did you get into that?
2: Um, well, you know, when life uh, holds you outside of a moving car and puts your face and grinds it into the, you know, the proverbial road, um, you know... Uh, when you snap back up out of it, you want to make sure that nobody else is ever forced into that position again, too. It's it's really just... um, I think humans have two directions that they can go in when when they're wounded or traumatized or when adverse situations happen. And they can either turn off or turn on. And I think that um, for whatever reason, by whatever set of circumstances, because I certainly didn't do it right all the time, and I certainly made so many errors along the way and uh, and had to really you know have that spiritual belief and drive to atone and to find my highest self and I, and I followed that path
1: you sound and like was, you sound I guess like a, 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 like a like a uh, an exorcist, uh, a snow <laughs> a snowplow for demons. I mean, uh, you, you must have touched a couple of those demons within yourself at some point, yeah. In order to realize how important and vital your your realization was, and being able to see that in others and be able to help them through that. I mean, wh- what a gift. We we don't uh, as a, as a collectively as a culture we don't really understand the
2: identity and role of the... Sh- Shadow in our psyches and in our day-to-day interactions, and, and then the collective shadow and all of that. Um, you know, a number of years ago, we talked about that whole big 2012 thing. You know, that was going on, and it was all supposed to be some kind of great shift. Um, if there is any kind of tangible proof to that, you know, what it has been has been a, a you know a change of epoch.
1: Could you clarify that for our listening audience in terms of in terms of what you're talking about? 2012. What was the what was the defining? I want to preface preface it
2: by saying that I don't necessarily, like, give credence to the theory, but there was a a great number of, uh, a body of theories that said that crossing 2012 would put Earth and the human population into a new era, a new epoch, all right? Some people interpreted it as as, like, kind of mundanely as crossing the galactic equator, which which is something we did between the late 90s and uh, 2010. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a galactic equator. Come on, explain. You now the Milky Way,
2: when you look up the sky and there's a big dense band of stars that goes over the sky, that's the galactic equator. That's oh, beautiful, equator beautiful. Of, of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, the Earth is kind of way out here on the astax. And, you know, we kind of go around like this in this big elliptical orbit. So every 2,500 years, I believe, is it? We cross the galactic plane.
0: Right. Right?
2: And go from the top of the galactic plane to the underside of it, you know, like uh, as if we're the, the moon were to go around the
1: Earth's equator, right? That sounds I mean, a little short. It's probably like uh, 25,000 or 250,000 or something. Yeah, like. I, I, I mean, I'm probably missing a zero in there somewhere. <laughs>
2: right? it's a big
1: one. <laughs> well, that's uh, cool. So how, does that, how does that pertain to, to what's happening here? Well,
2: there's a, there was a widespread belief that the Mayan civilization was able to chart these cycles and that they had a calendar that um, marked each of the different eras within each of the concentric circles, and that the legend was that the uh, calendar ended on December 21st, 2012. Okay, so in the run-up to that, there was a lot of belief that this is going to be some kind of apocalypse, but in the New Age side, there was a belief that there was going to be some kind of, what would you call it, Suzanne? An, an ascension, a transformation, like some kind of new activation where I think
0: awareness a level of awareness and I think that definitely I definitely think that was anchored with our consciousness because a lot of people came into understanding in 2012 I'd say 2008 to 2012 and now we're seeing another body of people kind of like shouting back and coming into their awareness now at 2020 uh, which is interesting because a lot of people are just like a little angry and the people that have been kind of in the quote-unquote no for a while are like, I don't know why you're so mad. (laughs) This is all old information.
2: To uh, get back to the original question, so at that time, one of the ways that this is also uh, referred to is as the age of revelation and that everything was going to become transparent and everything was going to become visible. And I think that when we look at Me Too and white nationalism and all, and the police and BLM and all of that, I think we see that things have become revealed right Uh, people places and things that previously hid in the shadows are now out in flight and that causes a both a individual and a kind of sociological phenomenon where the shadow is not in its proper place uh the issues that people have are repressed too deeply and that comes out and is externalized in a lot of really self-destructive and counterproductive behaviors substance abuse Verbal and emotional abuse, um, greed, acquisition, materialism, sociopathy, lack of um, empathy—you know—the treatment of migrants, the treatment of homeless, the treatment of you know poor people. I mean, all of it. All of it is a is a part of an expression of our collective shadow that right now is way out of whack. And it was explained to me many years ago by some elders um, that who would be very old now, but they were like, uh, you know, in their 70s, I think around the time, and they were these old new agers and they said that like what's happening is a kind of a purification where those people who choose to take the higher path and try to work through the shadow, integrate it, in, and become their higher selves are here to essentially help shepherd these lost masses that are right now entering this terrible darkness. And if we look all around, Look at what's happening. People are panicking. People are, are falling into deep substance abuse, deep depression. They're isolated. They're afraid. They're broke. Uh, the ground under the feet is shifting constantly.
1: Yeah. And, do, you, do, you, do you attribute that? I mean, there's a lot of factors that can go into the, the social fabric sure. of, of a culture. And, but you're attributing this... Uh, Gosh, you got 70% of all families are single family homes. Uh, dads are absent. Uh, kids are, everybody's given an award. Nobody's, how to manage suffering and, and how to work through things. And there, it seems like we have a, an entitled young population coming up that feels they can loot and burn every time something goes wrong in the world. So you have, you have and now working with that where it takes decades for a culture to eliminate nuclear family, uh, which I guess is, could be also a root of a lot of this evil, uh, how are you tying in these cosmic phenomenons with all of this cultural shift? I'm actually not. I prefer <laughs> to be... I,
2: actually, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it in the terms of, like, m- from a meta perspective, like, there is some very large, like, shift going on, and you can break it down into something as simple as sociological cycles, like they write about in the fourth turning you know we're 80 year, we're right on that 80 year cycle oh, where-
1: learning. See, see i'm oh. the dumb guy i'm the dumb guy <laughs> suzanne already knows all this stuff so i figure if you can boil it down to something i understand i can generally understand that maybe my general audience will understand too because i'm just hoping there's a couple of dumb more dumb people out there that don't get it like me so you're helping okay. you're helping me like grasp the vastness of you guys' knowledge because you guys are very vast and you speak in cosmic terms and it's (laughs) it's interesting for us mere earthlings to try to (laughs) grapple with the uh, magnitude of what it is that you're saying and how that actually pertains to me going out getting a job me trying to stay in a relationship me trying to like deal with my own immortality you know what i'm saying so like uh, uh you guys are like on another level but what's cool is occasionally we can get you down to earth and then all the rest of us can begin to take the ride with you.
0: <laughs> well, I think we're, we're tr- Charles and I are definitely two-legged. <laughs> yeah. You might be a little gimpy right now, but you're two, we're both two-legged.
1: <laughs> so that's just a little bit of insider with me. I mean, you got to be a little patient with me. The fourth
2: turning, uh, and i want to preface this by saying this book has gotten a really bad rap. And the only reason it's got a bad rap is because in the beginning of the Trump presidency, Steve Bannon referenced it a lot, both during the campaign and then early on in the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. But Bannon, you know, for all of his faults or whatever, he's not an idiot and he can read. And um, (laughs) so the book is about uh, two sociologists, um, Neil Strauss and William Howe, I believe, Strauss and Howe. They parsed out. They looked at 500 years of Anglo-American history, okay? And they were able to parse out a regularly occurring 80-year cycle, right? And this 80-year cycle was the rise and fall of, you know, various societies, okay? That happens in these four generations of 20 years, 20 years, 20 years and 20 years. And so they point out that every 80 years there's been a major calamity that has been a paradigm shifter. So a major war, a major depression are usually what happens. But then there's also, you know, civil unrest and, you know, now there's ecological issues and, you
1: know. That's interesting. That 80 years is a magical number. It's, uh, uh, there's it's a certain metaphysical circles. There's like, uh, they say that 80 years is one breath of the earth. One breath. Yeah. Well, that would make
2: a lot of sense in context to what these two gentlemen are arguing. And, um, Along with that, then they take it a step further and they look at all of the different archetypes that each generation forms. So they break—you know—they look at the Silent Generation, the Greatest Generation, or the greatest Generation, Silent Generation, and then the Baby Boomers, and then Gen X, and then Millennials. And at this point, Gen Z wasn't really being counted because the book came out uh, almost ten years ago. And they'll be so, lucky never be counted. Still, well, they were still kids. They were still kids at this time, but. Then they, and then they um, break you um, archetypally into four different uh, archetypes, prophet, king, nomad, and artist. Mm-hmm. And so depending on which generation you were born in, you, you have one of these archetypes. I just, Suzanne, you, know, you won't be surprised to know that my archetype was nomad.
0: <laughs> this <laughs> company
2: uh, name is Nomad Cinema <laughs> the name of my, my, name of my production company which I found out about my architect much later so yeah. when you look at that you, you see that like even though like they say that teleology which is the you know, it's the predicting of future events by looking at historical patterns they say it's not a valid science they say you can't predict the future can't based on the patterns of the past I disagree and Strauss and Howe disagree. Now, they say that this is because, you know, there's too many factors and variables involved and there's always different change that comes along, but, you know, one could also very mundanely argue that people are people, that we're still, like, trying to figure out the same fundamental issues. Right.
0: Plus, you have cause and effect scientifically, so those patterns are repeating and I've already laid the footwork.
1: Well, how how does all of this wonderful deep thought uh, assist you in the work that you do? I mean, how is it, uh, how does that... How does that help you stay in uh, a higher state of being in order for you to function and be perceptive to the nuances that a lot of people aren't paying attention to? Well,
2: uh, I think that, I mean, part of it I would like to say is some form of, like, a gift or intuition that I had that made that gave me aptitude in order to learn quickly and learn deeply.
1: Gift or intuition? See, I'm a dumb guy. Gift <laughs> or intuition?
2: <laughs> um, and then, Dr. Uh, Seuss. I think that also, you know, because there was my experience of trauma, developmental trauma, acute and complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and a lot of violence, which um, then led to the advocacy work I did. And once you see all of that, and at some point you have to ask yourself, like, what do you do about it, you know? And I spent many years in the political arena trying to march and demonstrate, legislate, petition, ballots, and candidates, and that never really worked. And so there was like, well, what really needs to happen. Now, there's been a belief since the kind of like late 60s, early 70s, that like the real revolution that needed to happen was a spiritual one and an internal one. Now, some people can believe that, some people cannot believe that. Um, But over time, what I've started to see is that what we're looking at is a culture that is incredibly sick. It's divided, it is shadow dominant, it is materialistic and and acquisitive. And it is all about, essentially, uh, end-stage capitalism. Now, at the same time, we're also going through the same patterns of ex-empire that all large imperial powers go through. Uh, we're, col- we're collapsing slowly. What that means in practical terms, for you, so you understand, is standard and quality of living. How much access to food, energy, resources, materials, and the elective, or uh, um, what do they call it, the... Um, uh, Accessories of life. How much are these available to you? And so, uh, it, will America? <laughs> remain, yeah, will America remain the top of the you know the chief empire in the top of the pyramid, or will it now have to give away a portion of its standard of living to other rising powers? This isn't the first time that this happened to us. This also happened to us in the late '60s when Germany and Japan came back on mind. and they were economic powerhouses that previous were not. They were still rebuilding after World War II. And so that's why we had a huge recession in the early 70s. The cost of living doubled overnight. This is stuff that was all structural. And it's it's just basic economics, and and it's supply and demand, but it's also geopolitics. So now we have China, and China has taken a significant chunk. Along with that, you also have India, you have Brazil, you have Russia, you have Iran, you have South Africa, Okay. And then you have the the EU acting as an entire economic block. And then you also have an emerging group, ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, which is all of the Pacific Rim economies together, right? For national entities. So we've been living on borrowed time, borrowed money, and borrowed troops, really, for quite some time. And borrowed labor, and all of that bill has now come due. Um, The deficit, The fact that we went from a net exporting to a net importing economy, Um, the fact that we have what's known as imperial overreach, right, by funding anywhere between 800 to 1,000 military bases around the world. No one else in the world has that. China has two foreign military bases.
0: Right.
2: They're in Africa. And then now they've built some atolls in the South China Sea. In the South China Sea, yeah, because they're going to seize the South China Sea from Vietnam, from the Philippines, from Thailand, and from from Indonesia, and and Taiwan. That's their next step. They've been building, you know, like, armed, fortified islands, essentially, in order to control that part of the world. Yeah. Now, heretofore, that was the British and French, and then that was us. And we've controlled the waterways, and no one else has had that type of control since the Roman Empire, really. Even with Britain... The British flag flying over 25 percent of the world—it still never controls things the way that we do. Right now, as that shifts, the American who's used to easy access to everything, including cheap credit, cheap money, cheap energy, cheap food—you know, cheap property—and some yeah. places still—that's <laughs> all got to change. Those bills will come due. Um, China's going to have call in some debt japan's gonna gotta call in some debt eventually they've been our primary creditors and we're gonna have to have a massive restructuring now they never tell you this they can't tell you this because the only way that politicians stay in power is through economic prosperity the only other way they can do it is by demagoguery
0: right
2: what do you see happening right now <laughs> economic prosperity being exchanged for demagogues
0: pontification
1: well, well, so, so it sounds like you got a little doom and gloom going on over there my friend and a pretty pretty background you got so well, so your yeah. so light at the so your silver lining and your light at the end of the tunnel is still negating the fact that we're a 22 trillion dollar a year economy and we're uh 325 you, million people
2: use the term we though that's the thing that's the issue i'm glad you said that yeah said we, are, we are we are yeah um uh, someone like me, I don't feel like I'm part of this country. I, I've spent most of my adult life disenfranchised. I, you know, can barely find steady work
1: or so, a home. So you're an outlier at this point. I'm. I consider myself pretty much an outlier. Yeah. I would say. I would say. Oh my! You got a bit of Nostradamus going on over there too. So that all of your all of. Well, your, you were
0: you were leading to a cycle.
1: Yeah, he was leading into a. a but I, I, but the, it sounds like the, the the cycle the cycle for you. Uh, and this is not any qualification, but the fact that you're able to sit there on that mountain and pontificate and and breathe that air and and not be pressured to do anything other than what you want to do is is a luxury that a lot of people don't have. Well, you perceive it that way, but I mean, I'm indigent, I don't have a
2: home. Um, I'm reliant on, like, largely other people's, you know, generosity and largesse lately. Uh, I have a, a disability. Um, I have no. I own no property. I yeah, sure. I'm not compelled into like compulsory military service right now, and I'm not like a slave. That's great. But the only reason why I'm able to sit on this mountain and talk to you right now is because I had a personal connection, and I was able to get myself here. And if I wasn't able to, and then my stay here isn't even you know temporary.
1: And then I got to move on. I got to find someplace else. So how I, how has that now? Listen. How has that? How is that? given you the wisdom and the insight that you currently carry because you carry with you an enlightened aspect you're in tune with things that people don't even think about and and you're able to uh having come through what i heard you say i think ptsd you come through that uh somehow you you've slayed a few demons to be here i guess if you're managing deep ptsd there's a lot of I don't even know what comes along with that. Maybe, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. But the point is, is that talk about it. <laughs> the point is, is that you've come through it, and because you've come through it, you are, you, you, you're a man of wisdom and help. Can other help other people through it? I, I'm, I'm assuming that's what you do. Welcome
0: to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone. This is Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani. You are listening to us on iHeartRadio In addition, you can stream us weekly on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and a wide variety of players worldwide. Without further ado, let's dive into the joy zone.
2: I work with plant medicines and I work with kind of gestalt therapy for people that have, you know, major, major substance use problems the kinds of treatment resistance you know, they talk about, and people with the really deep, pernicious personality disorders, trauma, you know. Um, they need.
1: Well, you see what I'm getting at. let see what I'm getting at is that, like, somehow, if your life would be different, you wouldn't be put in a position to help people on that deep of a level. Uh, right. There's like a, it's like a luxury, it's like a luxury to avoid suffering, but those of us that don't have an easy day-to-day, and not saying labor, slave labor, easy day to day, but we're forced to confront our own obstacles. And through that, we become insightful. And through that discomfort, we sort of can accept that as part of the equation and therefore have the insight into help somebody through their difficulty. And I think that's, you know, life is said to be bittersweet uh, at its best. In other words, there's always like something else pulling that we might feel is limiting our potential, but yet without that sharpening of our character, we wouldn't be able to see into the things we see into.
0: So yeah. Charles, from the macro, cause you shared a beautiful macro yeah. that most people don't really grasp. You know, we have people at large list, We have a worldwide audience. So we have people all over the world going through their own, uh, I, call it, we're in, I thought we were just gonna be in the birth canal, but we're still in gestation through this process, turning left. Um, so everyone's managing where they're at. If you can bring it to the microcosm, so that big macro level, we're, we're paying, we're ready to reconcile our karmic debt. And rather than complete the 80 year cycles that we keep going through, uh, how do you foresee, Wise Sage, that we can liberate ourselves and set the record straight for once? Because it's kind of tiring, you know, keep doing the same dance yeah, over and over. It, yeah.
1: What is the answer to our 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 uh, sloth and our gluttonous <laughs> behaviors over the last hundred and fifty years? I mean, I w- I wouldn't presume to know, um, but I will I will say
2: this. And, and it's, it's good that you have a, an international audience because the first thing I want to say is in reference to like what I believe, if I may, you know, make the mistake of assuming what you were saying uh, about sitting on this mountain and being free to pontificate. Um, what that, what I felt that was, was you know, a, a statement of like America, you know, you know, free, land of the free, home of the brave type shit. Yes,
1: sir. But, yes, sir.
2: but I have I have traveled this world extensively and. The United States is decidedly in the lower middle when it comes to freedom um, of all sorts. The only freedom that there is here is if you are rich, you have the right to spend and own as much as you want, as long as you're willing to give huge chunks of it to the government.
1: Yeah, I think, long- the, I think the United States was designed to ha- for people that have at least $11 million. So if you have $11 million, you can, <laughs> you can survive off of that and live, live the American dream.
2: But most, uh, almost all of Europe, uh, almost all of South America, uh, almost all of, uh, obviously, Oceania, and a good chunk of Asia um, are much freer societies and much more pleasant societies than the United States. And I don't say that as a hater. I love my country. And I'm, you know, I have uh, lots of issues with it. And I think it's in a period of like real uh, peril, to put it mildly. Um, but I'm also not a nationalist. Like, I consider myself a citizen of the planet, and primarily. I'm a human before I'm an American. So that being said, um, that's the first thing that we need to realize is we are living in an antiquated system of imaginary borders that just don't work anymore. We have to find a way to exist as a global community without countries, because they're arbitrary, and they're creating a winners and losers situation where might makes right. And although that you could argue that that is humanity, if you're asking me what we need to do to get past it, well, that's what we need to do to get past it. We need to face the forces of regression and fear and fascism that always step in when an empire collapses and when things become uncertain, people rally around what they perceive as strength. And there is always a temptation and rarely does anybody ever pass up the opportunity to seize power. So all of these things have to change in order for us to get anywhere else. We have to change the nature of power. We need to change the nature of governance. We need to change the nature of perception with each other. We need to stop perceiving ourselves in terms of black, white, red, yellow, because we are 99.9% genetically identical to each other and we are all pink on the inside. And my melanin content shouldn't have anything to do with how I'm treated socially, right? Race is a 19th century construct in order to justify white supremacy. And it was born out of a perversion of Charles Darwin's book, because he never once said anything like survival of the fittest. What he said was natural selection, adaptation. So if I grow up on the equator, I'm gonna be black. If I grow up on the Arctic Circle, I'm gonna be white. And it doesn't make one any more better than the other. And when people talk about, well, you know, black people behave this way, Mexicans behave this way, that's because we're talking about what? Culture. Right. We have many, many, many cultures at this that have religions and beliefs and mythologies, and that's people's identity, not their race, their culture.
1: Well, I, think, I think the U.S. has like 236 religions here that we support, so... Uh, that makes it a pretty special place. So, I think I think we're as ethnically diverse, uh, probably the most diverse country in the world. I think. No, not even close. India is the most diverse country in the world,
0: just by breakdown of people there. Yeah. I've never looked at their breakdown as far as their ethnic backgrounds. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's it's got
1: to be one or two. So in terms, uh, no, of- it,
2: the United States is not nearly as as multicultural as you perceive it to be. It's almost sixty five percent white. It's about. Uh, 12 to 15% African-American. It's like... Uh, a well, also, you know, we're speaking
0: from L.A., so you get a different perception if we were in Iowa.
2: Where I am, <laughs> this is Oregon, man. This is white, 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 and white. Yeah,
0: and so there? it's all there's relative. White.
2: <laughs> and then there's some white over here. And then I, I think I found some white down there, too.
0: But to get back to your point of, you know, being two-legged, you reminded me when I was out at Hopi once, Hopi uh, Nation, and you know the hopi gentleman said to me he goes we're all human anyways you know after all we're all human and so if we get back to our humanity um, and then you're saying get rid of borders if we we think about you know from a just a permaculture standards like if if we make our communities sustainable um that they you know i talked to my friend in singapore and they like ship everything in. i'm like that's a bad mistake what are you doing you guys could set up your own grow houses you could have your own sustainable energy you could have they even fly in their water
2: as long as capitalism particularly the type that we have right now which is referred to specifically as end stage where they you they're essentially finding they have to find new markets to create new wealth so they have like derivatives uh, the right. derivative market and stuff like that which are just they're ephemeral they're not real right Right. so uh, until we change our value system none of that matters it's just rearranging chairs on on the titanic and i don't say that to be fatalistic it isn't gloom and doom it's just that humans are very averse to to radical change of any sort humans change very slowly and we need structural reorganization of everything from our supply chain because yeah. we are wedded to a global system that was invented in the postmodern era, in the post-war era. It is very similar to the global economy that existed uh, during the fin de siècle, the, the, the turn of the century. And that economy and those issues led to the First World War. And what we are in right now is almost an identical template. And it's about world powers restructuring. It's about a a global economy that's overstretched, and it's about all of the structural issues, migration, homelessness, the drug economy. So what's your
0: plan? What's your strategic plan?
2: I mean, the plan is is that we first have to realize what the hell is going on here. And as (laughs) as as long as we are willing to take reductionist demagoguery from the politicians, uh, then we're not going to really understand what's happening. Now, I don't know how to solve the problem because it requires people to do this thing called reading. I <laughs> do, don't really do that anymore. <laughs> and I don't uh, really know Charles what to do.
0: Like, I really don't well, know. Well, they do have audiobooks. You know, we could plug audio to audible.com.
2: <laughs> but, you know, you, you can argue, and I do argue often, that this was intentional and this was a coordinated policy to essentially dumb down our public over a generation or two. I mean, my parents' generation, the baby boomers, which I think you guys are members of, if I'm, if I'm maybe correct, but I'm you not. might get extras with did. me, but yeah. But, like, they were incredibly intelligent, and their science and math education was exemplary, and they could do this thing called, like, arithmetic, where they added stuff up and multiplied it and stuff, and then they did this thing called spelling, where, like, they put words, letters together in the right order, and it formed the word. Like, that's what they used to teach, and they, we don't teach any of that. We don't teach history, we don't give people any connection to the past, and we have systematically eliminated anything that we consider insurrectionary, controversial, or otherwise unresolved. History is truly told by the winners, and we have not been honest about our own history.
1: Right. It's always an aspect or a perspective of history, right? like you said that it's written by the winners because they're alive for one. Yeah but what it. we
2: have now are more than anything else we have like propaganda and the sins of omission because what we have accepted as world history is really just western european history like the indians the Easterns, the africans they have an entirely different history. Right. It doesn't? It's not about white people discovering the world and being the first to do everything <laughs> they're just the first assholes to show up and start taking everything right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, man. and that could have happened many times over because we only yeah. have a short record of altered history. Well, what do I?
1: <laughs> so well, I love, I love the, I love the counter. You put a lot of thought into what's wrong. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the yeah. other, it's the other side of, of it's the other side of that coin that, from your, from your yeah. perspective, is really where the solution lay. Because it's easy to run around and point at people's where you're talking about people or whether you're talking about countries or you're talking about cultures you can run around and dig around and find all the things wrong with it um, and then make it bad Uh, the I i think the the next level would be to flip that coin and say okay well that's bad but what is it that we as humans can do as humans and how do we make ourselves better and then apply that that model and that pathway to our countries and our local municipalities and our states and our countries how do you know like how does a human get better a human.
2: That, well, the humans follow other humans we teach each other like you have to teach a man to go and take another life like a soldier you have to train them to kill because it's not in our nature we will defend ourselves like any other animal and we can kill to protect our lives if it's threatened but to go and systematically take life, for example, needs to be conditioned. By the same token, we can also be conditioned for compassion. In the same way, we can be trained to be peace and love soldiers instead of killers. We just don't put our focus on that because what we value is what you
1: have, how much you're worth, and how much power you have over others. Okay. Well, so you're, you're we you're viewing that. I, I'm with you. But you're viewing those things as an obstruction and as, a, and as a problem. So as a human, we're not focusing on that in order to get better. We have to put our attention somewhere else. And you mentioned it. You mentioned- I, I, I think you're just splitting hairs by saying
2: that. Because you have to disabuse yourself of a behavior. And like, okay, you can't get over your illness until it's been diagnosed. And the diagnosis process is sitting in front of the doctor and being told, okay, here's what you got. and Here's what the deal is. We haven't been diagnosed yet. So we need to be diagnosed for our problem first so that we accept collectively. Yes, this is our problem. We don't accept that yet. Well, I think, think
0: yeah, I think that I, well, I think theologically we've been told over and over and that's that seven deadly sins. And the native Americans have told us over and over, which would be the largest one, which is greed and probably, uh, being a sloth because if you go out on a farm country you know we're an agricultural planet plain and simple and so there's many beautiful places to grow food all around the world all we need is food water shelter i mean if you know we could just build a nice little teepee where you are with the trees and the branches and shrubs so um you know well let me it, let me use
2: that as an example though this is a perfect example and i and I, I say this cautiously but like the you know, issue here I, is that... I fought,
1: we, we, open the doors, baby. <laughs> no caution. Caution
2: <laughs> to the wind, baby. Yes, you, you say that, you know, well, hey, look at that beautiful land. We can put a teepee here and blah, blah, blah. Except that this land is owned by a person. And that one person doesn't want to share and doesn't want right. to give it to the community and, and doesn't want to do that. So that person is a bottleneck between something like this being shared with others, right? That right. replicated times millions and billions of people who decide, but no, 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 this is mine. So as long as we're fighting over who's got what, and we're not, and I'm not saying we need to all go communist, man, but like, we need to start thinking collectively in some ways. We need to start (laughs) start acting collectively in some ways. We need to start pulling, reapportioning and redistributing resources. And I'm not talking about wealth, man. I'm not a socialist. I'm talking about resources.
0: Right, so resources come in all shapes and sizes. And, you know, the Native, again, the indigenous culture and the Native Americans have taught us all that, you know, we are caretakers of the land. And that's, you know, that's one thing they had to offer all of us if we were willing to listen. They've systematically, globally, obliterated, um, as you know, almost all indigenous cultures on this planet. There's very few tribes left. What they can do is quite magical uh and this new era we're entering uh, will require people to know those skills because it's pretty amazing what
1: skills are you referencing that they need to know the the
0: communion with the planet the uh, the ability to grow without without without, like a water line the ability to commune with the ecosystem to create acres and acres of crops of food without any reliance on the big man
1: well well, this is what's cool is that the, the problems have, are, are clear and you're stating the problems and the the, the backstop is okay, everybody's not going to get on the same page with me, so therefore nothing's going to happen. And I think that might be a defeatist perspective. I th- And given the wealth of knowledge that I, mean, I know the three of us have together, wow, that can probably solve the problems of the world if we really want to get egocentric about that but if we look at what makes a person healthy and you're talking about okay we're sick so if we're if we're terminally sick this will never get better and we can kiss our butts goodbye and just accept the suffering and the war and the battle and the fight that's in front of us or if you take the microcosm of how an individual becomes healthy from being sick and what how they need to perceive the world then i think you're also setting up for a macrocosm in terms of how local municipalities, states, and governments need to uh, go about their business in order to get healthy as well. So So what happens
2: when you get sick? Well, the first thing is that you go see the people who have the knowledge of healing and you ask them what you need to do and then usually what do they do? They take a break. They take rest. They stop doing what they're doing and they let whatever the problem is heal. Now. This economic and social system we have, I mean, look at what happened with, the, with COVID. Is that the people that make the money, they couldn't, they couldn't have us shut down for any period of time because they were losing their billions. They were losing their control. Now, yes, the average person is also losing their substance wage, but when it came down to it, the world could, can and should, like, take a stop and reorganize itself. I mean, even from the most pedantic, we have the ability in this country if we want to think in nationally.
0: Welcome to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone. This is Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani. You are listening to us on iHeartRadio. In addition, you can stream us weekly on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and a wide variety of players. Worldwide. Without further ado, let's dive into the joy zone.
2: You see, so long as I see my neighbor across the way as a Trump supporter and ergo not worthy of my compassion, my 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 uh, fidelity, and my you know neighborly like love, you know love for each other, then there. What's the point? We would be better off separating into a bunch of little countries and. Breaking off with like-minded enclaves, except that the same problems will eventually repeat themselves. When one group sees that the star-bellied snitches have stars and the plain-bellied snitches don't have them, and so they're going to want their stars. <laughs> and then once the star-bellied snitches get their stars, they're going to realize that they don't want them because they're not you anymore. So they want their stars taken off.
1: Well, well, let uh, Well, like I said, the the, per, the, per, the perspective that you're giving me is sort of a karmic spinning circle. In other words, it, it, there you go. Now
2: now you're getting to what I'm really getting at, which is that you're trying to solve a problem that I'm going to argue isn't solvable, that it's our destiny. We are not long for this world in the current form that we inhabit it.
0: Well, that's samsara. And so, again, Hopi talks about this prophecy. If uh, they have a a rock out there, you can go. All right, last guess we talked about. But it's a time of separation, you know, and I've been talking to one of the leaders I uh am close to and I keep asking him, I'm like, Are you sensing this? But you know, the, the separation is occurring and we don't know on a quantum level, like where our tension is like we, we've been, you know, conditioned as of late in mindfulness to be in the present moment to be in the now. But as our collective consciousness shifts, who's to say, cause everyone writes it as Armageddon that we don't snap through like a DMT experience, all the, all of a sudden into another place of observation. And we, those that are conscious and aware move into that dimension. And those that want to continue chasing their tail stay right here.
2: Like my dog right next to me, he's chasing yeah. her right now. <laughs> yeah, I I agree too, but I think like in, in in practical anthropological terms as well, I I would argue a theory, and I think there's some basis for this that what we're seeing is a kind of a bifurcation of evolution as far as the humans. I think we're I call it Homo Narcissus and Homo Empathic. Interesting. Because I think that we're becoming one. That's one like
0: a smaller, great book.
2: That's a great smaller, book, there, buddy. <laughs> There's a very smaller group of us that are becoming, and I like to identify with that because I believe that that's the path I've been on. Because I've been, I haven't becoming more hardened by this world. I've becoming softer by this world. Right. I've I've become more loving, more compassionate, more open, and stronger, able to withstand psychic energy for lack of a better term i hate using like these you know questionable words because i like the ground things tangible
0: electromagnetic
2: uh yeah. Yeah. charges whatever on- it is, you know sensitivity or whatever it is like and then and then there's homo narcissus which is essentially losing their capacity for empathy and that that has been a proven historical pattern that oftentimes during really you know, challenging phases or eras of life, humans have had to been reduced to more base survival. Ergo, their natural empathic instincts are gonna reduce in order to survive, because life wants to trump life. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm afraid that homo-narcissists would uh, essentially wipe out homo-empathists,
1: you know? Right. Uh, well, well, keep in mind, even...
0: Or it'll the, destroy
1: itself. Even even empathetic doesn't mean that the action changes because it matters on perspective. So you can be empathetic uh, and still put something out of its misery. Uh, the, uh, uh, the individual perspective, we're speaking in broad <laughs>
2: generalities. <laughs>
1: we speak in broad generalities and a lot of times, you can be empathetic and still kill something is what I'm trying to say. Well... Yeah, well, under what circumstances you know? exactly so yeah, for definition. every for, for every for every action there's a unique set of circumstances that every one of us takes so it's almost impossible to generalize an individual but when we see our government sort of behaving like a spoiled child or or we see groups of people or cultures sort of shift and we see where their priorities lay then we can we call them the great infidels you know mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're referred to through most of the world we're referred to as the infidel. And, and if you look at the word infidel, it sort of fits us to a T in a certain respect, um, especially going down the road that we're going down even more. Now we're becoming more and more of an infidel in a respect, but I want to stay on this with you two because you two are, are probably, well, I know this one's about as smart as I've ever met in my life. Um, uh, and uh, I, I'm learning about you, but I think the the, the solution of ex- expectation of empathetic, and you don't confuse sympathy with empathy, because they're not they're not related. One is having an insight in into an understanding of what's happening, and the other one is feeling sorry for something, and and. Uh, lending a hand possibly and or, yeah. or putting putting yeah. yourself but yeah that's that's more sympathetic than empathetic I agree. Uh, so we have we, how does a person get healthy is what i keep posing that question it's the third time i've posted okay. and <laughs> so because, step because, one get because, healthy because what, we could solve the problems of the world right here on this little radio podcast and we if we can like create it, because between the two of you how to get healthy is known And if we can like then broaden that philosophy out to a macrocosm in the next 20 minutes, we would have contributed something to our audience. Because I think what to do is a far more interesting question than what's wrong and what we can't do. Yeah. Well,
2: okay. First and foremost, you know, for each individual, it's been my experience that they have to want that. They have to really want to heal and they have to recognize that they uh, are sick or wounded or whatever, damn it, whatever they want to call it, but they have to recognize it and then they have to engage in the work and there is no healing without work. Now, see, this is where I, again, like I must concede to the powers of cynicism in the sense that this, this is not something that most people can do. It requires a tremendous amount of self-direction of discipline of self-reflection the ability to take harsh critique about your own behavior patterns suss them out identify them ultimately integrate them and love them now
1: that's a big order for people to do (laughs) no let's talk about the work let's talk about the The
0: jagged edges we all have them we all have jagged edges what else
1: is there other than the work so as opposed to avoiding how difficult the work is uh like for our listening audience that may be suffering you know i suffer from time to time i have bad days and good days uh how how can we do this work how so you're you're, you're making it sound like if you work with somebody then somebody's dictating and somebody takes you over no oh, no not, not necessarily So i think we have sh- shifting teachers that show up at various points throughout
2: our life depending on what it is that we put out what it is that we ultimately are calling in or asking for And you, I believe that one will be presented with multiple opportunities in order to engage with that problem in order to, you know, clear a cycle, end a cycle, otherwise gain uh, some greater awareness or resolve and heal and move on. Beautiful. But but if you don't get it when it's presented to you, you're going to keep getting it, keep
0: getting it. Keep chasing your tail.
2: I love it. Yeah. You know, okay, no, okay. It's, so, it's so our so. responsibility
1: to recognize the opportunities, excuse me, I didn't talk over you. But no, 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 we're talking over each other. you got to fight because there's a delay, so you got to keep fighting. To, um, you know, Recognize the
2: opportunities once they're presented to you, and then, you know, seize them and make the most of them. Now, most of us, most of the time, are too caught up in our shit and our patterns. We're looking down instead of looking up at what's coming towards us. So when the cycle, the opportunity to change finally gets there, we're surprised by it. Oh, fuck, where'd you come from? Gee. Uh, If we were looking for that, then we would see clearly once the opportunities start coming and then your intuition starts to kick in and you start to feel things change. Oh, there's going to be a shift here. I see these people moving out. I see these people moving in. I see this coming. I see this going. I feel this. I sense this. I hear this. I see this. You know, it's, 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 the more you wake up and the more you kind of...
1: Oh, I love that word, wake up. What is that? What is that? Yeah, How <laughs> did you just use that word?
2: You know, I mean, in every way that you can imagine in the sense that, like, you know, the world right now is in a trance. It's, it's in a spout. Uh, you know uh, i think they were even
0: the rioters in portland are shouting that in the middle of the night in neighborhoods yet it's an interesting dichotomy when we use the word wake up because it's kind of like if i run into either one of your ears and shout that you're probably gonna might hit me or push me back or run away from me
1: well usually life gives you that call i think you either run into a wall you get a car accident or somebody dies or you get it has to to come from within so so let's say this let's say you get we got we got We've got somebody on on the line that's ready, that realizes, whoa, this paradigm, this karmic spinning circle, this trance that I've been in has been a trance. How do I break free of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they they need to ask ask that that
2: question. Um, But, you know, part of it is that right now, with the conditions that we have, access to healing is a privilege. And more importantly, and I really gotta make a point of this, the time to heal is a luxury that most people do not have these days. And so, especially with grieving, we lose people in our family, we lose our spouses, we lose our children, we are expected at work the next day, you know, or the next week. Whatever it is, but we're expected back. As soon as we're better.
0: Right. But
2: Who's ever better? I lost my sister seven years ago. I'll never be the same. I, that wound will always be there, one way or the other. It irrevocably and inexorably altered the course of my life and who I am. And you know, I lost 33 people in 10 years to you know violent death or suicide. Wow, well, you, you, you don't you don't ever thank you. But you know you don't ever like that. How do you get better? Well, okay, I so, get. That.
1: I think if you live long enough you'll lose everybody you ever knew.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well these people all died young and tragically and unexpectedly except maybe the babas and even they died tragically and unexpectedly.
1: But have you given yourself oh. time to, have you given yourself time to come through that? Cuz for a lot of people they don't understand the difference between sadness and grieving. Yeah. Can, can you can you can you can you discern the difference between the two for our audience? I mean I, I can now.
2: Yeah. Uh, grief is a very specific process, you know, it is about the specific loss of something and the static battle between how long one holds on to the memory, the idea, the, the expectation or the, or the need, and grieving is about the process of letting, all of letting whatever that is go. And loss is incredibly painful for the human animal um, because it's part of our hardwiring to preserve our species and protect
1: our young. And that's the grieving part that that, that yeah. holds on to, to our attachment to our significant yeah. others in order to survive. You're tracking that back to a sort of yeah. instinctual. But we can also, we can grieve, we can grieve a home. We can
2: grieve an era. We can grieve a place. You know, if we've lost any of these things, we can go through the same five stages of grief as with losing a person or an animal. Okay. Um, that That's part of it. Are
1: those five, what are those five stages?
2: Uh, shock anger denial bargaining and acceptance it's elizabeth kubler ross's oh can you say that again Jock, anger how do you, how do you define jock
1: disbelief
2: uh, disbelief. uh and, and, but it's also um more like lack of response physiological sort of physiological shutdown. and psychological shutdown or Not a, lack more of, out of or body, Not a body. The out of body and the next one Disassociation, anyway. so Sean, there's, ang- there's anger, which is
1: we're all familiar.
2: on the wave when all the emotions together combine and they come out as rage, yeah. right? And then there's denial. Uh, no, 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 it didn't happen. It didn't happen. No way. This can't be happening. Why is this happening to me? No, 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 no. You're just creating a whole
1: another story right next to it, right? Just not and, even-
2: and then, yeah, and then like with my sister, there was, well, she didn't kill herself. Actually, she was murdered. You know, oh, that's what my, my, my father... Well, no, but my father thought that she was, but she wasn't. She just committed suicide. But my father wanted to keep... He kept her alive in his mind by thinking that she was murdered, so he needed to pursue her victimizers and bring them to justice. That was what kept her alive in his mind. I mean, you must understand that the mind loses itself for a while during the grieving process.
1: Right. Truly.
2: Absolutely. And then bargaining is, okay, listen, I will never ever fart at the dinner table again if you just let my dog come home I swear to God I will clean my room and you know what I mean or like I swear I will never treat my daughter you know harshly again if she just comes back right Barg- wow, Barg- that's
0: bargaining
2: powerful. or I should have coulda woulda never. I shoulda coulda woulda if no. I had just done this if I just do this, I might be good enough to redeem, you know? Yeah. And then there's also the, you know, there, there are, there, you also jump around these so they interchange, you know, so you don't follow them in a, in a clear chronological path. So you can be, you can have already accepted one aspect of someone's death and not accept another like I did with my sister. I was i had accepted that her physical death had happened, but I thought that she was trapped in some kind of spiritual no man's land because she had committed suicide. So I she was she became the focus of everything I was doing in order and until I got to the point where I resolved all of that.
1: And, and then I, that when you resolve it, that's acceptance. Right. So the acceptance is just a one step. So it just happens. So you accept it, at some point you just, accept it. Yeah, it
2: just happens. Thank you. And, and, any, any number, any multitude of things can push us to that point where we finally accept. And that's when we let go. That's that act is finally let it go.
1: Uh, you are, you're one courageous dude, dude. I mean, you went through that so many times and you come out the other end and here you are. You're still, you're still fighting. You're still, you're still like trying to figure out, you're still helping people. And that's like, wow. So, so collectively pretty,
0: right now, because of this uh, karmic, humanity's karmic moment, irregardless of who who started it all. Um, you know, we're all in this this actual grief process because everyone has lost something in this process. So, and then I call it uh, the, the SHIT on top of COVID, the real life stuff on top of COVID, like losing a family member, uh, you know, losing your business. There's all these other different things on top of this, like, mind thing that happened to everyone. So, we're in kind of a, a PTSD moment for a lot of people, and many people don't recognize it yet. Um, maybe they've met different aspects, and we keep compartmentalizing to keep ourselves moving forward. Yet, if you can share a little bit about trauma, how it does uh, the, I guess, the beauty, if there is one with trauma, is it forces you to rest
2: because uh, at yeah. <laughs>
0: times you can't function. Um, and so if you see that on the horizon, how, how do you foresee that um, with your work you do, assisting us really like, you know, the silver lining inside trauma, the slowdown, the, the relearning how to re-engage with society, you know? Right.
2: Well, right now we're just ping-ponging back and forth as a society between the first three stages uh, as related to COVID and all of that. We're just shock, anger and denial. Uh, we haven't even gotten to the bargaining point yet because we're not, we, there hasn't been, for the public, the, the amount of people we've lost and the amount of infected still isn't enough for us to collectively start bargaining for our own survival. Right. So that, 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 that's a drag, you know? So the process is still new and it's still gonna unfold for a while. And it's just a matter of like, as the it, people are gonna be falling apart all over the place, they already are. Um, you know, every day you see some crazy report of, like, a gang fight on an airplane because someone wouldn't force their toddler to wear a mask, you know? And these, you know, people, the, the skyrocketing rates of substance use and mental health issues, the, the skyrocketing pain of isolation when people are quarantined or locked down, or single people that live alone, or older people that don't get to connect with anybody anymore because they're on various states of lockdowns. Uh, isolation is the single greatest contributor to mental health dysfunction, uh, aside from violence, and it will that bill will come due. It takes 90 days in complete isolation, no contact with other human beings, to drive a person completely psychotic. Uh, it's been quantified. Our use of solitary in the United States and our penal system is a human rights crime and has mm-hmm. been sanctioned as such by the U.N. and by the Intervised Commission. So, that being the case, let's extrapolate that out. We're all in our little COVID prisons right now and we're in, under incredible stress and anxiety because of our economic situation and we watch watched riots and we see race um, relations at a, at a And time your
0: friends break. on Facebook yell at you because you don't think like them. Friends
2: are on Facebook yelling at you and you're getting bombarded by and then there's, you know, there. let's get deep and get covert for a second. There's also some pretty serious, significant, like, psyops that have gone around lately yep. in the last few years. Uh, the three that I think are the most significant are Flat Earth, Mandala Effect, and the QAnon. And all of those are meant to make you doubt what you know to be true with your own eyes and your own ears, what you've seen and been told and received throughout history. We know the fucking Earth is round, okay? <laughs> we know it. We know it. We, it doesn't matter whether it was Barenstein or Berenstein because both were said by the public. That's why the trick gets played in the head. People are like, no, I don't remember it as Berenstein. It's because everybody said it differently. And every one of those things, everybody said differently. Yeah. So it's a trick and it's meant to you're meant to, you know, doubt everything that you see.
0: Welcome to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone. This is Suzanne Toro and Thomas Artivani. You are listening to us on iHeartRadio. In addition, you can stream us weekly on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and a wide variety of players worldwide without further ado let's dive into the joy zone
2: because fascism slides in on that unsurety that lack of a uh, solid and definitive answer about something in steps fascism to provide that and what they do is they give you an enemy to point it out but right. if you don't know that the, if you are doubting whether or not we live in a hologram or whether the earth is round or whether or not like you know, this television show was ever on TV with this color pair of pants. You've got, first of all, other priorities than you really need to have. <laughs> and it's going to have a ripple effect where the people in power will be able to tell you anything they want to tell you. And you're going to, if not believe it instantly, you'll always be like, but what if? And that's all they need. All they need is that what if.
0: Yeah.
2: Because you don't know that the earth is round and you don't know who you are. And anybody can come and tell you who you are. And they can gaslight you on a collective level which is what fascism does with propaganda right is to create an alternate reality that is that suits the oppressor and ultimately victimizes everybody else around it
0: right and they're doing that on both sides of the fence right now um which is interesting to watch uh one side of the fence is because they've gotten into a little bit more investigative they're more than likely able to um, like figure out quantitative true data. Other side, on certain, I guess, generational stages are blindly believing, uh, if that makes sense. But yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, we, we're still at the same place, you know, kind of battling each other in a tug of war contest. Well, like
1: I said, we're, we're, like I said, it, it's, it's easier to talk about the problems and the, yeah. and the light at the end of the tunnel is like-
0: Give everyone a hug.
1: If, 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 if there is yeah. a way, to, well, if there's a way to enlightenment in terms of evolution and the way to evolution is to be able to transform this negativity and to jack it into higher states of consciousness so your perspective goes up, that's the benefit of it. And with that, you can, you can give birth to a leader uh, who understands that. Uh, or
2: not not have a leader and not have to follow one person or one thing but have everybody be the leader, which is kind of what we're really needing to do was figure out how not to follow, but how to lead
0: ourselves. Right, self-led, self-reliance. Um,
2: you know, it, if you believe it, the 90-10 theory, which is that 10% of us are wired for alpha behavior and 90% are wired for beta behavior to follow. Uh, and then you also look at the fact that they, that salvation might be in the human, because a person is an eminently rational and reasonable thing, but people are irrational and fearful and follow the herd. But conversely, the problem right now in the United States is that it prized and valued individualism over anything else. And so we have half the country that doesn't really give a shit what happens to the other half, because their freedom, their individual liberty, and their ability to express that is more important than the safety, well-being, and health of other people. Would and so know. they'll come will come up with all kinds of excuses why it's not real it's a hope it's overblown it's bullshit i don't want fascism the government's out of control but ultimately all it is is just selfish self-interest right. and it's because we prize individualism you don't see that in any of the asian economies because well, they're collectivist it seems like the,
1: well like, like i said it, it's not a matter of whether you want to follow that leader who's created within himself a leadership quality that he uses to get navigate the world in an intelligent fashion. If you want to follow that person, then follow them. If you don't want to, then don't follow them. Nobody's saying what you have to do. The point is, is that the how much choice and, are we given
2: about that? Though, I mean, honestly, how much choice are we given? You know, we, we well, have these, we well, have these people no, voicing no, on us. You know, I got I got it. There's you know one point. How many? Seven point eight eight billion people on this planet, and I got to choose between two to lead me. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's a
1: really, like, low pool. Well, right. I'm, not, I'm not even sure if those people are worth following because I'm not even sure that they're embodying what I suggested. Uh, what I'm suggesting is is that for the individual who can transform the negative aspects of things and shoot themselves up into their higher states of consciousness so their perspective is good, they can see into objective reality, which makes their choices good for, not, for them and if they have a family maybe their family too Uh, if there's enough people that do that that have a perspective of the objective reality then their choices are going to be better Um, and that's theoretically Theoretically. well in practice that's not theory that's practice that's what any yogi would tell you that's an actual yogi is that Through their practice, they they kind of have this little smark on their face and they're kind of really relaxed. So what those people have in common is that they're relaxed and they are able to key into higher states of consciousness and higher states of awareness through their practice, which makes them somehow enlightened, as we call it, as we make reference to. And I think there's so much, like you said, suffering and there's so much confusion, uncertainty, is actually what you were sort of describing. Uncertainty being the antithesis to action. Once once you make somebody uncertain, then you can get sort of control over them is what you're trying to say as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if, there's, if, there's a, if there's a way out, you, 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 you work on yourself. And so the work that you're talking, I'm assuming the work that you're talking In about, work. the work is gets you to a point where you can have that moment of clarity So you can realize, hey, a lot of this baggage I'm carrying around with me is just baggage, whether it's CNN baggage or MSNBC or Fox baggage or Trump baggage or BLM baggage or Me Too baggage. I'm carrying that around. I don't need to carry that around. That doesn't really affect my life one way or the other, actually, in this given moment. And in that, we find peace. And then in peace, then hopefully we can share that peace with others, right? Sure. I mean you know act as if and
2: be the change and all of those things are like you know all certainly valid and they do have tangible effects if you move through this world in a you know peaceful and non-confrontational manner you're likely to inspire that in others yada yada yada, all of that I believe with but you know there's also this growing you know understanding that you know the longer you live the more you see and the deeper you go into this work I always hated the use of the word when people would say this, but I'm starting to understand it. But like they would always say, oh, but everything is just perfect. And I'd be like, oh, no, it, it ain't perfect, man. Trust me, <laughs> it's perfect. But, you know, there's no, it is. And what it means to me, what I think ultimately what that means is that somebody told us that we're supposed to be happy and productive and successful and that peace and all of this stuff, but that ain't really what we're designed for. We're designed to be all over the place. And some of us live and some of us die and some things go right and some things go wrong. And the course of human history is ever alterable, but shit happens. And sometimes people die. Sometimes there's wars. Sometimes there's uprisings that change or liberate a culture, but it's all part of our experience and everything we've done has led us to this moment and every action has led us to this point mm-hmm. we are c- collectively acting out this great drama that is our destiny and who are we to try to alter it well it we, yeah but, we think that we can alter it?
0: well the, and this is the this is I,
1: slow, I hate that bell give me this big bell <laughs>
0: <laughs> right so in charles this is you know this is a tender thing i try to explain to my clients when they come in and complain about their their karma that they're in and we all have karma that comes to us in the present moment and that's from our past actions did you
1: like what he said though i just I thought that was beautiful My got a big span on the I, on the bell
0: i, <laughs> I am okay oh. <laughs> We're talking about the leela of life grand leela grand that's what he's getting at the, yeah. to get over this hurdle is this one thing that they don't tell society they don't because we're an on-demand society our yeah. technology's on demand entitled. our food's on demand everything comes now but one thing they don't they don't tell anyone is that y- our current circumstances are from way back when and so you know, maybe some of that's coming up in the civil unrest, you know, the people that are feeling the the reality of their ancestors' slavery, you know, they're realizing like, wow, that sucks. They're finally realizing it. But the reality is, is in the present moment, we can reconcile that cosmic bank account. And it means oftentimes getting humble, bowing down, not getting so caught up in the drama and saying, okay, what do I have to do to make my way? Oh, I'm you know, financially burdened, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna see the resources around me or am I gonna bitch for the next 10 years that I don't have the resources? Or I'm gonna be like, wow, I got this and that, and wow, I get to be here. The, the perception changes and then we start realizing that we the second part is we have responsibility for our present moment actions so we can pave our way into the future. Because right now we're just getting ready to repeat, chasing the cat's tail, no matter if it goes left, right, or center. Mm-hmm. Until we realize that moment that we have the power right now to pave a new way into the future for our future generations. But for
1: every person for every person that's born, they have to learn all these lessons that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. I would like to comment on
2: something that you mentioned at the early part of the show, and you had said something about, like, well, people think that they can just riot and loot if they're unhappy. And I'd like to step a bunch of steps back out of that perspective and offer a different one, which is that I mean, riots have been the primary instrument of social change for millennia. And when the public is not happy, the public has an obligation or the public simply has no choice but to rise up. Mm-hmm. The problems these days, in my perspective, from my perspective and, and my personal opinion, is where you place value and importance. So the people that are getting all upset because some corporate stores are getting looted, have their priorities out of whack and the people that don't understand that, like in Portland, for example, they're attacking the police department and symbols of authority, you know, they're, they're missing the point, right? From the perspective of the people that loot, um, you know, the Walmart or, or the Best Buy or whatever in Chicago, that was an act, that was a deliberate act to try to say, like, we don't give a shit about this. We don't care about your big corporation and we're going to show you. So if you think that we're just a bunch of poor you know, insert racial epithet, running around, you know, uh, looting just because we don't know better. Well, but I, I would argue that the looting and the rioting is an expression of the change that is happening. If you cannot get any traction through the more polite channels, then what, are, yeah, what are so we do we so What's
0: interesting with this looting and rioting, Charles, is that it's a double dip. It's a double dip greed. So they're bought and paid for rioters. We, we went into the riots yeah, here. Yeah. And there so are
2: provocateurs it's, everywhere, yeah.
0: So it's yeah. interesting, it's like, oh yeah. It's not even self-motivated rioting. It's like, I get 20 bucks an hour to go steal a bunch of stuff, so I get a bonus on top of it. I mean, you could watch them. They would oh, drive in droves. No,
2: no, I, I, I gotta back up here. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, and the government documents and research has all borne this out, but nine times out of 10, those provocateurs are paid by the police for it.
0: Right of and, course.
2: Yeah and and their intent, okay that's I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, yeah. And their intention is to create violence in order to um negatively impact or draw a very bad light on the protesters and yeah. also to you know justify more police repression and greater tactics. Right. I I was uh, the direct action coordinator for the Green Party of the United States in 2004 and 2005. My job during that campaign season was to organize all of the Green Party's protests around the country and lead them. So yeah. I was in the streets at all the major political conventions and all of that. And I had already come out of the globalization protests in Seattle and the Cancun and the Miami Model and all that shit. So by the time we got around to there, it was clear how much infiltration was all around us on either side of me it would be a police infiltrator that yeah. would be the first one to throw the bottle, the first one to throw a punch. Yeah. first scream, you know, kill the police or what have you.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, now I know that I can be dismissed by a good chunk of people as not being objective just by mere virtue of my affiliation with those groups but I'm telling you it's all there.
0: Yeah yeah so, and now it's been documented now that we have these little devices well, it's not. The,
1: the tactic is an old one and it's being used by both sides for sure uh, but but it's not uh it's certainly not clear exactly it's it, it's the uncertainty and the unclarity of who's doing what. And one person starts in, and it's easy to bring in other people and just create a big melee, which is why I think people have a hard time reporting accurately on what the hell's going on because nobody right. knows what the hell is going on. But, it's, but, but, look, it's, but look at underneath it is that that's exactly an expression of how
2: nobody themselves in life has any idea what's going on right, right now that that rioting is an outward expression of fucking fear and like anxiety and rage at what they see as incompetence towards their very lives and i'm not just talking about blm man i'm talking about everybody because the riots are everybody they're they're multi multi-economic because everybody's getting screwed right now
0: right you know? Well, it was interesting. I think the key factor there is the lack lack of code of ethics. We saw not, I mean, a while back, but it was a, a documentary on Gandhi, which was kind of interesting because you got to see, it was made in India, and you, you got to see kind of the corruption that was around him, you know, and even his organization today is is used Uh, in interesting ways you know Um, so oftentimes we have these core principles you know of doing good or what we want change but we don't really think it through you know and even with if we take the riots in general you know I I stopped a lot of the young adults that were there with hateful things on their signs asking them what do you need like do you know what this is about but it comes if we bring it back to the person you know the individual and restoring trust that if I, my, Suzanne makes change, I'm going to restore my inner code of ethics, my, my footing on the earth. And even if that means I end up in the forest with my backpack, (laughs) I, I have such instinctual trust with myself and mother nature that everything's going to be all right. But for a lot of people, because of the others, the other materium that they're attached to, they may not have that confidence. So that makes them, um, avoid, really getting to that base place. Well, like, hey, am I gonna be all right? Just with me and my backpack and the forest.
1: I love, I love, I listen, I, I love where this has gone. <laughs> I, mean, this I is don't like, know if it went anywhere other
0: than well, we, we, think, we, we have to heal. <laughs>
1: I think there's a lot. No, there's a lot in there. There's a lot. I mean, the man gave us a, all we really need to take away from. You. Yeah. Well, the man gave us a lesson on grief and the progression through grief. I mean, I'm I'm better for that. I didn't even think about that in those stages at all. And the, the moment you were talking about those things, it became very clear to me that uh, 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 that the time it needs to come through those things before you are asked to go back to work, before you're asked to go back to your family, your single family, maybe. Your one kid, and your hard, your two jobs, your three jobs, or whatever it is you got going on, how easy it would be to be in denial and to not ever let that wound heal properly, and for you to sort of start this whole conversation off with uh, a cosmic effect that's happening to, to I guess, I guess, <laughs> well, the Possibly. well, the universe, the universe of universes, is influencing us in a way that can be partially instigating our need to. Balance and to harmonize in order to move into a uh, an age of Aquarius or into a. Oh, we're, we're in it. Don't get me wrong. We're in that age now.
2: We're done. We're not, it's not the dawning. We're in it. Like it's, you know,
1: in the age of, in the age of Aquarius. The age of,
2: Pisces is, the age of Pisces technically ended it in 2000, you know, and the age of Pisces is ultimately referred to as the age of Christ and it's because the fish is not Jesus and all that stuff. But the age of Aquarius is a totally different ballgame. And, um, you know, we are reorganizing uh, everywhere, uh, uh, voluntarily and involuntarily because of it. I want to leave you with something, which is that Gandhi was a virulent racist and he was a misogynist that slept with underage women. Girl, right. I should say. Um, yeah. it, History holds up certain heroes because they are convenient for the power structure that exists. And Gandhi and King were, not, were so-called nonviolent leaders. And it's real easy to hold them up as leaders because you can just plow those people over when it when the shit comes down. Uh, The people that really talk the real revolution, the people that actually try to do it, that you never hear from them or they don't live very long and they're never held up in history. Who knows about Franz Fan and let alone Malcolm X, you know?
0: Yep. Um, Absolutely. Well, and also when we, I think when we bring the past, like if we bring Gandhi here, there's a whole school you know what most people don't realize is that things are different during stages and so even generationally in one generation we have people that are a hundred that grew up and transformed during totally different eras so developmentally spiritually development all those things their evolution on an eternal level is going to be different Um, and so yeah Gandhi was not all hey, about peace, uh, love, hey, and you happiness. Guys, you guys,
1: you stop slamming Gandhi. He's my He's my guy right there. He's uh, my hero. I like... Hey,
0: hey, 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 I have hey. to hey. The other, the other, I
2: remember too. The other thing to remember about Gandhi is that that revolution, they called it a non-violent revolution, but it was plenty violent. It was just violent. Oh, it was, it was very
0: violent. violent. Hard to
2: watch. Plenty well, of Indians were, you know, bludgeoned to death and died under horrible
1: well, yeah. then, listen. It's, it's, the point is, is not whether it failed, and you've been talking about failures for a long, for, for most of the, most of the conversation along the way, and we 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 understand that our propensity to fail is is greater than our propensity to succeed. So, when a when a person fails thousands of times, and all of a sudden they pop their head up through, and they feel like they've had some sort of a clearing, some sort of a a personal victory, it's 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 those thousands of failures that preceded that one victory, and it's easy. Historically, to look at people's failures, but not look at the uh, ID, ideal that they were pursuing and maybe even touched on and even because they touched on it, influenced the world in a positive way. The, the It's not whether we fail or whether we're flawed or whether we sin, it's whether we are able to come to terms with that, forgive ourselves and contribute, and be of service.
0: Welcome to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone. This is Suzanne Toro and Thomas Ardovani. You are listening to us on iHeartRadio. In addition, you can stream us weekly on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and a wide variety of players worldwide. Without further ado, let's dive into the Joy Zone.
1: Here's a question I've been dying to ask you.
0: Oh, you, I don't. <laughs> well, this will be interesting. Don't, don't,
1: don't, yeah, wouldn't it? I can't uh, wait.
0: Charles.
1: Yeah.
2: Can You hear us? I have to mute be, because the wind is really strong.
0: Oh, okay. So, if you were God, or this unexplainable word that people use a lot, uh, how would what three things would you leave give humanity? You.
1: If you were God. Not not just unexplainable, but God, really the overall, all-seeing God. You have three things to make humanity better. What are, you, what are they going to be? Well, you guys will be pleased to learn that I actually am God, and so uh, I have been thinking about it.
2: Uh, what, what would I give them? Um, give us. Yeah. I think we already have everything that we need. We just need to reconnect with it. And it, it's like our connection to and our responsibilities for each other. We've just lost that in in this particular
1: nation. right, so that's one. That's our connection and responsibility for each other. What's two? I would remove
2: uh, that mechanism in the brain that denies the things that they're seeing right in front of their eyes, like their planet falling to pieces. There's some weird, like, I I screwed something up in the uh, wiring and I need to get in there and fix that wiring mistake, because there's got to be one to one.
1: like the imagine, like the negative imagination or improper use of your imagination or something like that. What heat wave? What are you talking about? I don't know about it. <laughs> <heat wave>. Denial. <laughs> you would remove denial. You would remove denial. I would right? Remove denial. Yeah, I would remove What's denial. One? What's the first one?
0: Uh, to respect one another, see and respect one another. Is how you say ma- it? Maintain,
2: maintain the connections
1: on all levels, like physical. With all
0: your relations. Physical,
1: and yeah. to look out for each other. And to, and to care for each other is how he used it. And then the I next care. one's Nile, to care for each other is first one. Denial, wow. second one. And that's a great one, dude. Nobody's ever said that. Nobody's ever <laughs> even come close to that. I love that one. And the third one? Um, I would um,
2: remove um, whatever makes one human either want or believe that they have something of greater value than another human. Wow. Envy. Maybe envy? Is that called envy?
0: Envy. In in my mind, mind, envy
2: and pride pride, but it's also where we place our values what we put value on yeah you know the ability for ephemeral not you know intangibles to suddenly make one person
1: elevated above another
0: right yeah envy and pride it's an aspect of the ego
1: yeah well you know what you what? you know what sir You, you would be a great god and we would all be blessed to be under your rule. There's a
2: lot of people that would take issue with that, treasure.
1: Well, I don't know. There are a lot of people take issue with God. So
0: you're, you, as,
1: as you started off, you, were, you you are God. And I believe I believe that that aspect shines through. You. you have a
0: lot of fans, Charles. Yeah,
1: you have, a lot, you have a lot of fans, Charles. And I believe that aspect of you uh, shines through in, in spades. So you're... you're uh, it, was, it was a long battle to get here, man. I was kind of an
2: asshole for a while. And, you know, my priorities were in the same place as almost everybody else's self glorification, my career, my accomplishments, my name in light, my name, my name, my name, my name. And over time, I developed these, you know, because I was you know, wounded and unresolved, so I also developed these characters in order to push through my agendas and you know I did a lot of things that I'm really ashamed of and you know things I regret that I had to go through the whole process over. One of those things is not really recognizing and, and being grateful for all of the wonderful things that I did have. Like I lived in a world where I had all of these professional accomplishments and all this attention and what have you and it was never good enough. And in that moment if you ask me what it is that changed me or what it is that we need to do it's you know recognize and admit in that moment like what the is wrong with me? How can I be so unhappy? And then let's look at that. And I looked at it, and mm-hmm. I realized that all the things that they told me that I needed to be happy, I got, and they didn't make me happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got them, and they didn't yeah. make me happy. You know? Yeah. Well, the yogi Swami Ch- Chidananda. He, 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 somebody asked him, "Well, what does it take to be happy?" And he said, "Well, be happy." <laughs> <laughs> that's about as simple as it gets right
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, doctor it hurts when i do this I don't do that
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey uh, hey charles listen you're you're a blessing it's been a real pleasure and i think our audience is gonna, love, play, you. Play. gonna love you up on indie creators in the joy zone with thomas ordevani and suzanne toro we're here with charles shaw charles shaw yes and, uh,
0: filmmaker author
1: filmmaker author ptsd,
0: PTSD.
1: uh guy. Healer. Healer. Mountain man up in the mountains of Oregon just chilling like a villain.
0: And what's the best way for them to get, we'll put your um, handle, but what's the best way if people especially want to work with you uh, creatively and or uh, doing their inner work?
2: Well, I mean uh, Instagram is the only social media platform I really use anymore. And uh, what is it? Instagram. Instagram. It's at Nomad Creative Consulting. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I have, I have a Facebook account that I check, but I don't really use Facebook anymore. But yeah. I can be reached through Messenger. I can be reached through Facebook. Pretty much any of yeah. those social platforms. I'm easy to find. Um, you know, I'm easy to find on the on the net. And you can give them my
1: email address too if you would like. That's fine. Okay. And what is it at no
0: at Nomad Creative?
1: Say that again. Consulting
0: consulting
1: at nomad creative consulting at nomad creative consulting that's where we're going to find you and that's where that's where we're going to go hunt you down and get some more knowledge too and, <laughs> yeah, there's lots, lots of fun stuff on the instagram account for sure all oh, right yeah. all right lots of fun stuff on charles yeah. shaw's instagram account there you go people well listen it's been a pleasure if you want to just push your button and click off we're going to sit here and talk about you <laughs> okay
2: great, great to see you charles thank you so much very much i really appreciated this lots of love
0: to you
1: what a fiery spirit he is huh
0: yeah he has he's a wealth of knowledge uh his book exile nation which we didn't talk about is a pretty deep insight into the chicago prisons and the corruption Uh, would be pretty interesting read for a lot of people given what's going on right now exile nation and then he did a series of documentaries one called the plastic people and it's about uh, the people that are stuck in kind of like a little anti zone or maybe autonomous zone between Mexico and the United States. And they literally have no identity, so they have nowhere to go. So they're stuck in this little vestibule and he did a, a documentary on them, which was, r- was really powerful and riveting because you see a lot of things that most people, uh, especially in North America, Canada, maybe even Europe don't get to understand that exist uh, on this planet you could actually be born and not documented ever.
1: Wow. Okay. A lot of stuff a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of stuff that you yeah. sure brought that in there when we were when
0: well talking. he he wanted to talk more about what we talked about. So it's good for people if you want to check out that work to you can look it up on the web. It's available. What is it? Um Plastic People, we'll put the links in his book, Exile Nation, uh, you can purchase on Amazon and it's a it's a great read. Uh it gives you a little history about uh present day corruption. And, you know, what? It, it, really specific to Chicago. So it's kind of fascinating.
1: Yeah, there was definitely a... Um, it's easy to get stuck in that cycle of focusing on... You can see where the line in the sand was there. Like, it's easier to talk about these problems. It's easier to, to point out all the difficulties. And you can see, like, there was like a line to get above. You know, and that's that's really our line. I mean, he showed us where the line was. Yeah, it's like it's like, and that's and that's where it gets a little uh, open to opinion, and that's where it's easy to like to chop people down at the knees because people that might be making headway, people that might be at peace, people that might have found their perspective, may, maybe, you know, not perceived uh, in a proper light, maybe uh, maybe perceived as. Uh, somebody who doesn't belong to something or is not a, not a part of a group or something like that. And that could be anything further from the truth, that people that awaken or find peace in chaos are not apart, or aloof or indifferent. It's having the ability to see into things and to see what needs to be done. And um, um, that's the road that I think we, we got to focus on.
0: Well, you know, step one, uh, inner work. <laughs> uh, also seeing what is. I think there's, you know, it's a little hard because you can go in and just talk about the problems or point fingers. It's kind of like
1: eating dessert all day long. Yeah. You know, nothing good for you. Kind of getting in the system. Yeah. It's like it's easy to go negative because it's like it's easiest, most accessible
0: Well, if we think about it, the
1: gratification that you get is is going negative or getting crazy on somebody, right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if I relate to myself in this present moment, you know, I have my jagged edges, but I also have enough self-awareness that I can keep polishing those edges. And so that's a huge blessing. And then, so if anyone can get to that place where they can do their inner work uh, and be confident that they can keep polishing their edges, you're in a powerful place and then then what else is there to do that all this time to create
1: yeah all this time all that beautiful time and no matter what you're doing you're creating in it that's a yeah that's a huge uh, it's a huge advantage and a huge plus
0: welcome to indie creators in the joy zone this is suzanne toro and thomas Artivani. you are listening to us on iHeartRadio. radio in addition you can stream us weekly on spotify itunes soundcloud google play amazon and a wide variety of players worldwide. Without further ado, let's dive into the Joy Zone.